Amen. Uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke chapter 12 will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue in this Advent season and our study of Luke's Gospel. Now, there are times during Advent that I'll pause in whatever uh, sermon series, whatever book of the Bible we're in, and there's other times like uh, this year where uh, God's text providentially uh, lines up well with the Advent season. And as we're in a season of looking back at the first Advent and looking ahead to the second Advent, well, Luke 12 fits very well because it's in this chapter, if you've been with us, uh, that you know that, that Jesus is ultimately pointing towards his second Advent. Uh, the chapter begins with Jesus' warning about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Uh, he has just spent time with a group of Pharisees, and now he's in front of a very large crowd uh, that is gathered around him, and he's warning against what he refers to as their leaven, their sin, their hypocrisy. In that context, then, uh, a man asked Jesus to give a judgment about an inheritance. Uh, Jesus instead gives him a judgment about his sin and calls him out for his coveting and warns us about covetous hearts. And then in that context, he then tells the disciples uh, that they need not be anxious. Uh, again, in the context of one who is very anxious about the things of this world and of a parable where Jesus warns us against loving the things of this world, he turns then to his disciples, his followers, and says, you need not have the cares and the concerns and the anxieties and worries that the world has because God has prepared for us a kingdom. And it is the Father's good will, it's good desire to give his children the kingdom. And so things have now shifted in this teaching from uh, beware of these worldly sins and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to now you need not be anxious because you are looking ahead to the kingdom that is coming, to the glory that is coming and to the return of Christ our King. And so that's where we will pick up today as we look now to Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. So Jesus has just said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then he says this, verse 35, stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes, in the second watch, or in the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed 
is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You would pray with me. Father, as we come to your word this morning, and as we come during a season when we are looking about looking back and looking ahead, help us, Lord, to look ahead rightly. Help us to understand and see in your word that which we can perceive and that which we cannot. Or we can get so easily preoccupied doing the very thing in this passage that you tell us we cannot do, which is know the day or hour of your return. And at the same time, we can so easily neglect that which is clear in this passage, which is our need to be faithful and be obedient and be ready. So, Father, help us to put first things first and right things right and understand your word and how we might live in obedience to it. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I've mentioned already, during Advent seasons, there's times when I continue through the book we're in, there's times when we, we look at a special focus, but either of those times, there's one consistency that I often share this time of year, and that's the PNC Christmas Index, the cost of the 12 days of Christmas. In fact, I was talking to uh, Caroline last night, and there was a year I didn't share it, and she made sure to remind me not to skip over it. So for her benefit and perhaps yours, here is a summary of the PNC price index. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, for 40 years, PNC Bank, this time of year, has had a folks on their staff that they have sat down and looked at the actual cost of the 12 days of Christmas. And so if you were to, to buy these commodities in today's day and age, what would they cost and how does that compare to years past? And again, they've been at this for about 40 years. And so, if you're looking to do some last-minute Christmas shopping, here are some suggestions for you, although uh, you will need a hefty bank account if you decide to go for the cost of true love, uh, which is taking all of those gifts, day 1 through day 12, adding them all up. The total is $46,729.86. Now, if you decide to actually go as the song goes, which if you know the song, you know that on each day it keeps repeating so they keep buying the same things over and over again. It comes to 364 gifts. And the total for those 364 gifts is just over $200,000. I'm going to assume you're not going to spend $200,000 the next week on Christmas. 
But here are the breakdowns of a few of these things. Uh, the price for some of these days stayed the same. And so, good news, if you were going to buy four calling birds, it's about $600, which is what it costs last year. Or if you were going to go for eight maids of milking, that is still the cheapest item on the list at $58. Those poor maids of milking have not gotten a raise since 2009, which is why we don't have too many maids of milking in Nelson County anymore. And then the price of some days went up. A partridge and a pear tree will now cost you about $320, which is about a 14% increase over last year. Uh, the price of the birds stayed the same, but uh, because of building costs, the cost of trees has gone up some 15%. Two turtle doves, which let's just not buy that, but if you were curious, two turtle doves will cost you $750, which is 25% more from last word, last year because apparently it is hard to find turtle doves. I look at this every year, and it is sort of humorous to consider some of these gifts, but uh, what I always find interesting, and I did this uh, this week, is looking back and seeing how, you know, some years there's certain commodities that go up quite a bit. Uh, some years there's commodities that go down quite a bit. It's reflective of our markets as a whole. And so if you sit down in this next week as we're towards the end of the year, you can look and see how if you had bought certain stocks on January 1st, uh, they went up 300%, and you would have made quite a lot of money. Uh, you can also see that if you bought certain stocks on January 1st, uh, they went down some 70 80% this year. You would have lost a lot of money. And we can look back and see these things pretty accurate. Uh, hindsight, indeed, is 2020. You can be right 100% of the time if you were talking about what has already happened. It's a whole other thing to look ahead and try to have that type of accuracy in your predictions. That there are people who try, there are people who will tell you with great confidence that if you will invest in their system, uh, they can guarantee you that you'll only buy those uh, stocks that'll make 300% and you'll never lose money. But of course, that's not how it works out because we are not omniscient. We are not sovereign. We, we cannot look at the future and know all things as they will come to be. And yet, our sovereign God, who is omniscient through his word and his son, has indeed revealed to us things about the future that we can have 100% confidence in. He has not told us all things, but he has told us important things. And we're reminded of that when we come to our passage today, because one of those things that the scripture speaks of often is indeed the second advent of our Lord Jesus. It is the return of our Lord Jesus. And so we this morning can gather with 100% confidence knowing that Jesus indeed will return. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you up to myself, that where I am you may also be. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 for whoever is saying, Jesus says, of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, 
will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in glory of His Father with the holy angels. In Acts chapter 1, we have the, the scene there where just before the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. The scriptures go on and on and on. In fact, out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament God has given us, Christ's return is mentioned some 320 times. In fact, there are very few books of the Bible that do not, or of the New Testament, that do not mention the second advent of Jesus Christ. Galatians, and then the very short, short letters of second and third John. Outside of that, every New Testament Scripture we have, every New Testament book we have, letter we have, mentions the return of Jesus. Friends, we can be 100% confident that this event will indeed happen, that Jesus indeed is coming, and he is coming soon. And as we come to this passage today, that is the focus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the midst of this great crowd. He will address the crowd, and we'll look at that next Lord's Day, but for today he is addressing these disciples. And again, in this context, he is speaking to them about the things are to come. He's telling them they need not be anxious about those who will kill the body. He says this because they will be killed, many of them, for the sake of the gospel. He says they need not worry about these things because God has prepared for them a kingdom and that kingdom is coming and that kingdom is coming soon. And with that, he speaks of his return. And he tells them very clearly, they need not be concerned about the day or the hour or trying to pick that day and hour as so many are still preoccupied with today. Jesus says here and in many other passages, we need not do that because we're not going to know. Instead, we need to focus on readiness. We need to focus on faithfulness. We need to focus on obedience. And so those are the things we will focus on as we look to God's word today. You'll note if I put a question there in your outline, how should Christians live in light of Christ's return? And the first thing we see clearly, the predominant thing we see in this passage is this, where we'll spend most of our time, point one, we can live in light of Christ's return by being ready. We need to be ready. Now the question then is be ready for what? Jesus answers that question in verse 40. He said, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so, as I heard years ago, a seminary professor would often ask his class, how many of you expect Jesus to return tonight? If someone said they did, he'd say, well, he's not gone. <laughs> yeah. He's coming in an hour you do not expect. 
Of course, that's not what it means. It means we cannot predict. We do not know. Therefore, we must always live in anticipation of. And to help us understand this, to help his disciples understand this, Jesus gives parables throughout this passage, parables about masters and servants. And you'll notice there's a connection here with all of these parables, and it has to do with readiness and preparation. And so he says here in the, the first example that there is a master who has gone away and he is at a wedding feast. Now we've talked throughout our study of Luke's gospel, especially in the beginning of Luke's gospel, when we looked at the betrothal of Joseph and Mary, where we've talked at some length about these Hebrew wedding practices, these, these marriage ceremonies where we're preparing at our own home for a marriage ceremony. Our, our son Parker, our oldest, is getting married next year. And for you who have made these preparations, you know there's a, there's a great deal focused around a day and really around a few hours and around this event. But this was very different in the Hebrew culture. That this ceremony, this celebration, it wasn't about hours or even a day. It was about days. And there was no predefined length of celebration that would take place. Now, this could go on for days and days and days, which is why in this example, it's important to understand that this master has gone away and his servants do not know when he's going to return. Jesus says that these men who were faithful servants are always ready for their master to return. In fact, he says here in this passage that they are, they are dressed for action. Many of you know, culturally in this context, that, that these servants, that the men in this day, they would wear uh, many garments and many coverings, and, and there were certain ways they would dress and prepare themselves when they needed to move quickly, when they needed to be prepared to serve, that they would have taken their external robe off, that that under robe they had, that they would have girded it up, they would have rolled it up and tucked it in the belt, that this would have been a preparation for them to serve at any given moment. And so that there was not a situation here where the master might return and the servants might say, oh, you're home now. Well, well let me get dressed and let me get ready and let me prepare something for you. The, the context here, Jesus says, that, that these faithful servants, they're always ready. At any given moment, that they are waiting and they are watching so that when the master returns, they, they might serve him as they are called to do. It says they keep their lamps burning and they keep filling them with oil and they keep trimming the wicks. Again, things that we're not so familiar with today. We, we flick a switch, a light comes on, we flick it off, it comes off. And, and even in our modern technology, we can push a button on our phone or, or say a word out loud and something will pick it up and cut things on and cut things off. Or, or for those of you who are old enough to remember, we can clap on, clap off. That's a very different context here. That there's preparation, there's anticipation, that there's getting the oil, there's filling the oil lamps, there's trimming the wicks and, and not letting the flame go out. That there's a constant work and anticipation that's taking place. And you'll notice here, Jesus even gives the picture that they are awake and they are alert. Verse 37 says, Blessed are those servants when, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. 
I think perhaps this is easily overlooked, but this is quite extraordinary what Jesus says will happen in this parable. Now, remember what a parable is. Uh, a parable is when Jesus is teaching a point and he, and he holds up uh, a story beside the point, and often the story is a quite extreme example of what would not ordinarily happen so that he might reiterate the point he's making. Because what would have ordinarily happened in this situation is the master would have been away at a wedding feast, and then the master would have returned from the wedding feast, and the servants, if they were faithful as the ones were in this parable, they would have been ready for the master's return, and the master would have come in. Again, he didn't go down the street. He's probably a long journey away. He comes in. They would have washed his feet. They would have set him and reclined him at the table. They would have fed him and served him. But Jesus gives a rather extraordinary example here. That the master returns to do what? To serve his servants. That the master comes in and notice he's the one dressing himself for service now. They are the ones reclining at the table now. And he is the one washing their feet and serving them. It would just be a few months from this time when Jesus gives this parable that this very thing would indeed happen. Jesus would tell his servants his disciples, to go and to, proclaim, uh, to prepare a meal, the Passover meal. And in that context, with a, a teacher in that day, the teacher would have been served by his disciples. The context would have been Jesus would have come, they would have served him, they would have washed his feet, and yet what will happen at that table? Jesus, according to the Gospels, he will take off his outer garment, he, he will gird his garment, he will kneel down, he will wash the disciples' feet, and he will serve them. You look ahead to the day that is coming, and what does the Scripture tell us? That one day we will gather around the Lord's table, we, we will recline at the table, and we will be served by our sovereign. That there's a thread here, there, there's a connection here where, where Jesus is taking, again, a common day situation, and he's using it to point out the extraordinary of that which is to come, his return, and he is calling his disciples, he's calling us to be prepared for this return, which we will read of in the next chapter of Luke's gospel. Jesus will say, and people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. These dots, these, these connections, he says they come with readiness. Verse 38, he says, if he, the master, comes in the second watch or in the third watch, he finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. Again, phrases we don't use, so it's helpful to understand that the second watch was approximately 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., that the third watch was approximately 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, again, Jesus, I don't believe here, is saying to us, uh, you can never sleep, and you must be awake, and, and tonight you need to stay up from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., and you need to be just ready for the return of Jesus during that time. If that's what God's calling us to do, then I will not be a faithful servant tonight from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., or any other night from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Because, friends, the, the good news is we can sleep because God does not, and we can sleep faithfully and, and trusting in him, Again, Jesus is not saying here that, that, that specifically make sure you're awake during these hours. What's he saying? He's using this example, a rather extreme one, of servants who never slept, to say we need to have that readiness. 
We need to be waiting and we need to be watching. He gives this positive example of readiness and then he follows it with a, a negative example. In verse 39, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. And it's important to understand, Jesus is now telling another parable, <laughs> that this is not a continuation of the first, it was a continuation of the first. It wouldn't make much sense because there's nothing about a thief and there's nothing about being broken into. That, that first example he gives is of faithful servants, is of ready servants. They are watching and they are ready and they are waiting and their master comes and they're ready to serve him and then he serves them. But then he shifts over and he says, now, now, now be like that, don't, don't be like this. Don't be like the one who wasn't watching and wasn't waiting. And he uses the example now of the master. He says if the master had known when his home was going to get broken into, he would have been ready, but he did not know. So to bring this into a more common vernacular, I read recently that one in five Americans has been victims of porch piracy which means someone in this room probably has. It's certainly more prevalent in heavily concentrated areas, but even in rural areas like ours, you can turn on Facebook and different community watch groups and you will see people have caught on their doorbell cameras, do you know who this person is and this package is missing? And these are folks who simply drive around, especially during the holiday season, and they, they watch for the delivery trucks to drop off those packages, and then they come behind them, and they take them and, and consider them theirs. They are thieves. Common practice today. So, you can imagine a very real-life situation if you were ordering a, a special gift that was coming from far away and, and had enormous value. And you, you knew from the delivery company, there, this is going to be delivered uh, on Thursday at 6 p.m. This is when it will be there uh, between 6 and 7. This is when it's coming. You, you would probably make preparations to be home between 6 and 7 or to have someone else home between 6 and 7. You certainly would not plan to be gone for an extended period of time. Why? Because you, you were anticipating that this object of value coming, and you were aware that many people want to steal objects of value, so you would ready yourself. But Jesus, in his day, wasn't dealing with porch pirates. He wasn't dealing with apps that tell us what window of time a delivery is coming. But he was dealing with thieves nonetheless. And he was saying that, that if master knew what the master cannot know, but as if he were to know, when the thief was coming, in his day, people were gone for long journeys and long periods of time. And so normally when there was a robbery, when a thief would come or a band of thieves would come, they would prey on those who, who weren't there at their homes. And they would go in and steal things. At times they would go in and live as if that place were there theirs for weeks at a time. And Jesus said if that master knew when that was coming, he, he would never leave during that window of time. What's the point here? The, the, the point is, again, readiness. Verse 40, you, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I have preached passages like this, and I've been met with folks after those sermons who said, 
Yeah, but I've got this fascinating thing. You won't believe what I saw on YouTube or what I saw on TV. You know, if you, if you take every word in the Bible and you connect it with a number and you add these numbers and divide them by three and multiply it by 67 and do it when you're standing on your head on December 31st, then you're going to see. And so please, it's, I've got a trip today. You don't need to tell me any of this after today's sermon. Jesus is explicitly clear about First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Second Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation 3, 3, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. We do not know the day or the hour, and yet, what does Jesus say? We must live in such a way that we're always ready, that the day or the hour is completely insignificant, and even if we could know, we need not know, because the whole point of what Jesus is saying is don't procrastinate, (laughs) Don't put it on the calendar and circle it and say, well, I can just do whatever I want. And when it gets closer, then I'll get ready. And yet, how do so many live? I'm going to live for me, and I'm going to do what I want. And I'll get serious about this later on. I know this faith I was raised in is important, but right now I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll get serious about that later on. I'll get serious about that one day. Jesus says he's coming like a thief. You do not know at what hour he will come. And so we, it's not that we need not procrastinate. We we cannot procrastinate. And that's why he says explicitly, be ready, be ready, be ready. So how might we be ready? Well, two very brief examples as we go through the rest of this passage. Number two, we can be ready by being faithful. Be faithful. At this point, Peter asked a question in verse 41. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? (laughs) I don't want to try to figure out Peter's motives here. I think he had an honest question. Again, we've already seen in this passage where there are literally so many people who come to hear Jesus. They are trampling over one another. There are specific times where Jesus, the scripture says, he turns to the crowds and he says this, and he turns to the disciples and he says this, and this, if we're following the flow of what's Luke given us, this is a time where he's turned to the disciples, he's speaking to them, but surely others can hear. And so Peter has this question. Wait, wait, is this for us, or is this for them? Is this for everybody? And Jesus does what Jesus often do. He doesn't just give a real clear bullet point answer to Peter, although I believe he does give the answer in this. But he continues in this series of parables and offers another. He says there's a master who's away, and now he's put a manager over his household, a manager would have been responsible for certain tasks. And so when a master went away, this picture here is he has a rather large estate, and it seems the indication here is that he's specifically in charge of the food, is in charge of feeding the other servants, and, and when the master comes, if he's faithful, then he's going to put him over other things. And there were many things for masters to put these managers over. 
And we, we do things like this, smaller scale, but we, we, we assign tasks all the time. And so maybe in your home, you're having a, a holiday gathering, you've had one or you're going to have one, and, and you've got family members in that home, and so you sit down and you, you assign out some tasks. <laughs> okay, so and so I, I need you to, to, to take care of the living room, and I, I need you to take care of the kitchen, and you're going to vacuum, and, and what about me? Well, if you could just clean that mess of a room of yours, then, then that'd be sufficient. A few hours go by, you, as a good manager of the household, you start looking around and see how things are coming along, and Okay, the, the dishes are clean and, and the floor's vacuumed and then you go to so-and-so's room and it's, it's bad still. So you say to him, well, hey, I, I told you to clean this room. No, I, I, I'm working on it. They're sitting on their bed reading a book, but they're working on it. You come back about an hour later and it, the room actually looks messier than it did an hour before. Now you're looking to watch and the, the folks are coming. The guests are going to be there in another hour or so. And you say to them, listen, you've really you got to clean this room. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to it. And, you know, at least we harp on the kids. We, we can do the same things. Christmas holidays coming up. You got a mountain of stuff on your desk. It needs to be done. And Others are asking you for those things, and, and perhaps you procrastinate, or you've got other things that need to be done, but you know when that's due, and it's not due yet, and so you need to work on this stuff for now, and you, you'll get to that. But there's a nature we have here to procrastinate at times, and to wait until that due date or that moment we have to get something done. I'm leaving for a trip today, the wise manager, I've instructed my household, be ready, pack your bags. I haven't packed my bag. Because I haven't left yet. <laughs> and I know when I need to leave. and I know how quickly I can do it. And, and we tend to do these things. We, we kind of put it off until the moment it's due. But Jesus here gives a picture of what? We're, we're not going to know the moment it's due. And, and the manager who's, who's wise, they don't procrastinate. And they, they're ready and they're, they're doing what the master has instructed them to do. So that when the master returns, at what? At an unexpected hour, things go well for the faithful manager because the faithful manager is living as if the master is going to return at any moment. And so there's no, I'll get to that and I'll do that later. And, you know, he's always late anyways. I've got friends who live on the outskirts of town and they'll, they'll let me know when they see him coming. No, he says that the faithful manager is ready. He takes care of the master's instructions so that when the master returns, things are as they should be. There's, there's a readiness. And that readiness here, it's connected with faithfulness. But, second example, he tells of an unfaithful manager who, who doesn't just procrastinate. He treats the master's home as if it's just his to do whatever he pleases. And in this extreme example Jesus gives, he, he's a drunkard. He, he is abusive. He, he beats these other servants. And again, what was he instructed to do? Feed them, take care of them. What does he do? He abuses them. I think Jesus' point here is pretty clear. Coming in an hour, we do not expect. We, we need to be faithful, not unfaithful. 
Well, we need to be ready and prepared. We need to be faithful to the task that he has put before us. And what task has Jesus put before us? A whole bunch of them. His words filled with them. I'll give just one. We need to be faithful to the great commission of our Lord Jesus, who as our master has tasked us, his disciples, I think this gets back to Peter's question, I think Jesus through this elaborate answer is saying, yeah, Peter, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to all those who will follow, and I'm talking to those who are mine, and I'm talking to the disciples, and I'm talking to the ones who've been entrusted with the word and have been tasked to take the word and to share the word with others. The task that will be given to these men and by proxy to us, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when, he, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And notice that. Jesus doesn't say, you need to go do these things because one day I'm going to come back and be with you. He said, I'm with you now. I'm tasking you with that which I am empowering you to do. I'm not going away. I'm with you. I'm empowering you. But one day he will indeed return for us. And so between this day and that, we are called to be faithful to this task. And so here we are, 2,000 years later. And billions of people don't know the name of Jesus. Billions of people in the world cannot gather with a local body of believers today because there is not a local body of believers where they live. And in many places, there's no gospel witness where they live. 2,000 years later, and the Word of God does not exist in a translation that they can read and understand if they can, in fact, read and understand. The task is unfinished, and we are called to be faithful to it. And if we're going to live a life of readiness, we need to live a life of faithfulness. And delayed faith, saying I'll get to that later, I'll give to that later, I'll go and do that later, I'll talk to them about the gospel later, that's not faithfulness. And along with that, we need to be finally, point three, obedient. Jesus continues in this parable of the faithful, the unfaithful manager over the master's household with a, a third example Verse 47, he says, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. Now notice the, the accountability here. He knew the master's will. He did not do the master's will. And at the master's return, there will be a reckoning. And, and then notice what he says in verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. We might look at this, and some do look at the Word of God, and they look at all this accountability and all these commands, and they'll say, well, what about the one who's never heard? What about those billions today who've never heard Jesus' name? 
And here and in many other places, he, he's accounted. He, he didn't know, but he's accountable. Hey, he didn't know. He still sinned. He did what was wrong. He deserves a beating. What's he going to get? Not a pass. <laughs> he's going to get a beating. He's going to get accountability. Why? Because God has given his word and we're accountable to it, whether we've heard it or not. Romans 1, conscience and creation alone are enough to condemn us. But only the name of Jesus is enough to save us. And that's why faithfulness and obedience to the word is we need to get out there and we need to share the name of Jesus with folks. Because they're going to be accountable and we are accountable to share it with them. And notice he ends with this measure of accountability. Verse 48, continuing, he says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And you can boil all this down to this this morning. You have been entrusted with much. You're not among the billions who've never heard the name of Jesus and who don't have the word of God in your language. You have multiple copies. You have copies on your shelf that are collecting dust. You have the opportunity to gather every Lord's ear and hear the word of God proclaimed and preached. You have access at any given moment to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have been entrusted with much. What are we doing with that which we've been entrusted with? Are we living a life of readiness, of anticipation, of faithfulness, of obedience? And if not, what else do we need to call us to action? Many of you have in your homes, as I do, Advent calendars. We, we count down the days. We open little doors. Sometimes they have little treats in them, little passages in them. We, we, we count down to the 25th. We ready ourselves for the celebration of Christ. And, and in the world, those who don't know Jesus, those in our own community who don't know Jesus, they, they are readying themselves for the 25th. That They are making their own lists and they are checking things off of those lists. They, they are getting ready for Christmas. Perhaps you've had conversations today about getting ready for Christmas. But the question for us is, are we ready for Christ? Are we ready for his return? And if we're not, friends, God has graciously given us opportunity this morning to ready ourselves. I'll leave you with this. It's a a wonderful thought from a preacher of old, Charles Spurgeon. So there's a little book, Good Tidings of Great Joy. It's a collection of some of his thoughts on Advent. He was a preacher in the mid to late 1800s, but his words are still very relevant for today. And I'll leave this word with you. He says this, Do not say, the Lord will not come yet, and therefore I shall make my plans for the next 20 or 30 years, irrespective of him. You may not be here in the next 20 or 30 minutes. Or if you are, your Lord may be here also. He is already on the road. He started long ago, and he sent on a herald before him to cry, Behold, I come quickly. He has been coming quickly over the mountains of division ever since, and he must be here soon. If you are truly looking for his appearing, you will be found in the attitude 
of one who waits and watches, that when his Lord cometh, he may meet him with joy. Are you thus expecting him? I pray that we will be a people who will expect him. If you would pray to that end with me, let's stand together as I pray for you.